it turns into a lovely adjective. Uh, the one that <laughs> leaps to my mind is the Kanazawa Shitty Hotel. <laughs> Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are Attempting Parenting in Japan. Welcome to episode 38. Today we'll be talking about baby bath time. Uh, First, though, we can get into the updates. So, Mark, how about good old Coda? Coda is a little four-month-old now, and he's a happy four-month-old. Dude smiles all the time. He's doing great. Yeah, that's good news. Yeah. Uh, this is our first episode, you know, back from the two-week hiatus. Uh, mm. Did you notice any changes in the last two weeks with Coda becoming four months old? Um, Kind of. He seems more engaged with his toys. Like, mm. he definitely, like, when we put him in his little playpen sleeper downstairs, he's, like, really grabbing at his mobile because we have it kind of mm. low so he can reach out and touch it. And he really gets a hold of this thing and loves, like, it's a game for him usually to try to, like, grab them as they swing by. And, like, you know, every now and then he'll actually get a hold of one and hold it for a second. And then the whole, the machine kind of, like, slows down until he, like, can't hold it anymore. And then it just goes, wham, and flies around. (laughs) (laughs) That's exciting stuff for a four-month-old. Yeah, I think that's his new favorite game. Good times. And uh, yeah, we got him that puppy a while ago, and he's really, he's really enjoying that. Uh, that's the great thing now when our one of our babies goes to the other's house, that puppy is there waiting. Uh, right. Since we both have and that's <laughs> one like less thing to carry. One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need to double up on everything that way, and then it makes the transition much easier. Yeah, we almost have. We have the same bouncers, same playpens, changing yeah. tables, puppies. We're nearly there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's uh Coda's pretty I've noticed lately though he's really into standing. Mm. Like he he's does tummy time a bit still, but he's not really that interested in it. We have a new game where we try to lift him up with by his hands and to a seated position, but once mm. we get him to the seated position, he just shoots himself up into a standing position. Mm. And it's his new favorite activity, I think, like to do with us. He's, I think he's going to be a pre walker before he's a crawler. Mm, he very well could be. He's got the legs for it, for one thing. He does. Uh, <laughs> he's a stout, stout boy. Uh, and I saw this in action, I guess, almost two weeks ago. You guys came mm. over. And uh, I saw it in action again just a few days ago because while you were off gallivanting up and down Mount Fuji, who yes. was left to take care of the J babies, but old Justin. <laughs> and uh, by that, I mean, your wife brought your child over to our house and right. my wife, and my baby all hung out together. And I uh, came and went on the breeze, but <laughs> I did have the opportunity to like spend some quality time with Coda. And it's interesting because you get the side by side comparison. Coda's four months, just four months, right? Yeah. And, Nico's five months, but in a few days, it'll be six months. So they're seven weeks apart. And you mm-hmm. would think, you know, seven weeks is a massive difference when the kids are only, you know, 20 some odd weeks old or 30 weeks old. Yeah. And, uh, but actually, Coda has caught up in a number of ways. 
And mm. these are the things I noticed when Coda came over last. Uh, his legs are thicker than Nico's legs, like his thighs. When you hold oh, him yeah. and your hand is kind of like holding his thigh. Uh, it, it's like I can't wrap my hand even nearly around Coda's thigh. He's yeah. a powerhouse. <laughs> and Nico's uh, not scrawny. He's got rolls and chunky thighs, but Coda's just a stout boy. Uh, we also put their feet up against each other, and Coda has bigger feet than Nico does. Again, oh, seven really? weeks younger. Yeah, and his feet are like just a bit longer than Nico's feet Ooh. are. Um, Nico's still taller than Coda. He's like longer and more stretched out. But another thing I noticed about Coda, even being seven weeks younger, is that he, like, if there's a toy in front of him, he will grab it and attack it and play with it <laughs> until there's yeah. nothing left but an empty husk of the toy <laughs> that once was. But Nico will, um, more often than not, you put a toy in front of him and he'll stare at it and he may get the nerve up to, like, bring one hand onto the toy and move it around a bit. But Coda just launches in with two hands and tries to rip it in half. Like yeah. he's an active boy. If you put anything like when he's laying down and you put it on his belly, his hands are like little magnets and they're mm. just like instantly there. And then somehow trying to get it into his mouth. <laughs> yeah. What Nico does is he realizes, you know, I can cut out the middleman and I can just slam my head down on this toy and that'll get it in my mouth too. So if he's like sitting in his walker or something, you know, with the little table-ish platform right. in front of him, rather than put his hands up to get the toy, he'll just slap his head down onto the toy and eat it that way. Uh, so yeah, no we're wrong trying to... Yeah, there's no wrong answers. We're always trying to do more tummy time. I figure that builds up his arm strength a little bit and gets him used mm. to, you know, pushing around with his hands more. And we're always trying to, like, get toys into his hands. But he's just more, he wants to sit back and look at the toy. He'll still mm. grab a toy, but it's nothing like Coda who's trying to, like, take the toy apart, I feel. That is interesting. I'm surprised that Coda's so aggressive with toys. Yeah. Uh, also, as you said, Coda is a stander and a jumper. And um, mm. I was holding him. We have like a, a little divider between our living room and kitchen area. It's like a half wall that comes up, mm. I don't know, three feet or so, maybe more, yeah. four feet. And your wife was in the kitchen and I was sitting on the other side of the wall at the table and I was holding Coda and I would sort of like lift him up so that he could see over the divider to see your wife, to see his mother for a second. And he would crack up to see her face, you know, suddenly. And then I would pull him back down. And as soon as I pulled him down, he was kicking for everything he was worth to try and get back up there. And yeah. so he would give me the boost, you know, kick himself up there and I would lift him again. But uh, he's just like he's a bundle of energy and he's active yeah. and he's a wild man. Yeah, he is. I'm a little nervous. Right now it's containable and it's good. But in a year or so, I don't know. I'm yeah. have to <laughs> gate everything. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, you'll be, at that point, you'll be, what, in your late 40s, early 50s? You'll be chasing this <laughs> child around. <laughs> when he, Imagine when he gets up to full speed at about three years old or four years old or something. There'll be no holding him back. I mean, it's definitely not me. <laughs> yeah. You'll have to get another dog uh, and train it like a sheep dog or something to corral that's, him and bring him home. Yeah, that's the only thing I'm kind of hopeful. Like he'll focus his attention on Isla and mm -hmm. then 
she'll run away from him enough that he'll be distracted that he won't get into anything else. <laughs> mm, that could do it. Kind of it's hope. what I like too about having the two babies side by side because they kind of become each other's toy for that time that they're together. And right. they'll look at each other, reach out to each other, uh, kind of kick each other, like make any physical contact they can. And mm. uh, I see, I mean, just immediately you can see the great points about having two kids that they'll occupy each other. And I'm sure that it turns into fights that wouldn't have happened. And, you know, there's two times the errands and soccer practices and all that coming down the road. But uh, seeing the two kids together, you get an appreciation like, oh, yeah, they can kind of train each other up a little bit. Yeah, I think it does help getting them together. Like kids learn more from other kids, it seems like, and especially at this age. Like when I see mm-hmm. them interacting, Coda will start doing things that I didn't notice before and then bring it back. And I'm just like, oh, wow, you picked that up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So I I do like that. I wish we had more of that. Yeah, I'm going to be going to the U.S. here in two or three weeks. And I've got... Uh, a niece and a nephew over there who are both under two years old. So hmm. Nico's nice. going to be thrown into the deep end with his two cousins. And I, you know, that's the prime time for babies to really make a lot of advances as well from say, we'll arrive and he'll be six months and then we'll stay there for a few months. So all yeah. those milestones of probably, you know, standing up and first steps and maybe even mm-hmm. babbling a word or two or something could happen at the tail end of it but just playing with the toys, being around these two slightly older cousins also who are, I'm sure are going to be rambunctious and then like testing yeah. his limits of what he can handle as a little baby. I feel like he's going to just learn, you know, two or three times as much as if we were just chilling at the house every day. Yeah. Any, uh, any other updates for you from you for little Nico? Uh, we've jumped in with both feet on feeding him a little bit of solid food and I'm going to use air quotes around solid because whatever Mm. you feed a five to six month old baby, you mash it out of recognition and then you water that down. And Mm. so whatever it is, it's, uh, it's basically a like, you know, carrot flavored water at that point. It's just such a (laughs) fine mush. So, um, he's had at this point now you start off with the Okayu, which is a very finely mashed rice paste for a baby. Then you've got the, we've done carrots, we've done a type of spinach, which I believe is called komatsuna, but basically you can call it spinach, I'd say, mm. uh, p- potatoes. And we did apple, which mm. I was surprised because you're supposed to save fruits for last. But according to some list that we had, um, apple was thrown in in the five month window. So we thought, why not? We'll just give him a bit of watered down apple. Yeah. And the big step, this was one where we were, you know, not nervous, but just watching his reaction. But egg yolk became a thing. Oh, really? And yeah, you do a hard-boiled egg and one portion for the baby. Like, no whites, but you just get the yolk out of the hard-boiled egg. And then one portion for a baby is an eighth of an egg yolk. And then you do the same with that. You mash it through a screen and then water it down. And that's one where potentially some allergens could pop up. And that's part of the reasoning of only giving him an eighth of it watered down so that, you know, if he is allergic to it, it wouldn't have such a strong reaction. Hmm. But uh, he's so far, it's weird. He hasn't had any like negative reactions to anything, but he hasn't enjoyed anything either. (laughs) He's just (laughs) mostly befuddled by what we're doing to him. You know, like, Mm -hmm. what is this spoon apparatus? What is this weird tasting thing you've given me? 
and we've never spooned him anything into his mouth that he's like ecstatic about, but he also doesn't shake his head or get grossed out. He just kind of takes it all in stride, I guess. I'm surprised you didn't enjoy the apple. It had to be a little yeah. sweeter. Yeah, I thought apple would um, do something for him, but I think like the texture and the like, what do I do with this thing in my mouth is so mm. confusing to a baby that um, it maybe overrides their enjoyment of whatever the thing is. They're just so. not really in a panic, but they're just like dumbfounded by this totally new experience. Hmm. So uh, he's a little bit, um, I don't know. He gets a look of concern. I think that's about it. You put some food in his mouth, he gets a look of concern, but he will kind of pseudo chew it and eventually swallow it. So he's learning the lesson anyway. I think we'll be there soon in another couple of weeks. We might start trying that as well. Yeah. Um, it's uh, my wife has done all of it, but you know, it's like the boiling of the food, the mashing of the food, putting it into this little ice cube tray, freezing it, putting those into Ziploc bags that are dated. Cause you don't want to give them like, you know, mm. really old eggs or carrots or something. So you got to <laughs> keep the system alive. Uh, and then a, it's like 20 seconds in the microwave. They thaw out, mix it with water. It's a whole process, but um, it's kind of interesting. And then we take a video of everything he eats and then he gives us the same blank face reaction. <laughs> so we're sitting on all these, uh, these kind of videos, but uh, it's good to get the steps out of the way. Those are all the updates. And I suppose we can launch into bath time in segmenton. Segmenton bath time. Uh, welcome to Segment in Upon Bath. <laughs> Canterbury Tales, Lady of Bath. I don't know if it makes sense, but here we are anyway. I thought that bath time would be a good segment because it's something that changes so much from the first couple of months into mm. the, the next couple of months when the kid has a, a little bit more control of his body, a bit more autonomous, and he's not so delicate, you know, like... A kid holding his head up and not holding his head up is a massive yeah. difference when you're trying to wrangle him for a bath. But also mm. a kid squirming like crazy and a kid just kind of like laying there, you know, for the first month, not really doing much. That's also a massive difference in the bath technique. Mm. And uh, we've certainly changed up our, our bath time. So uh, walk me through what you guys do for bath time and we'll see how it compares to us. Okay. Well, I think it... It depends who's giving him the bath here. I think me and Moe have, we don't do it together and we have different ways of doing it because it's easier one way for the other person. So when I do it, I have a bigger baby bath that I set in our kind of unit bathroom. And fill oh, we that should take a time out, by the way, and explain the Japanese shower room bathroom. Oh, right. Yeah. A lot of the Western references are just thinking, uh, you know, you've got a bathtub and you fill it with a little bit of right. water and then what do you do? But that is not the way in Japan. So what's your uh, no. shower room setup? Yeah. So we have a changing room with sinks in it that lead into a enclosed unit bath and shower as one unit. And so you'll have a tub in there in half of it and then the other half is just a walk-in area that sometimes has seats in it that has a shower and a faucet that you can get water from and so it's like all tiled floor 
So you can yeah. stand and shower in one half of the room or get in the bathtub in the other half, but it's all like a tiled in sort of uh, yeah. bathy zone. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody is getting wet in that room. Everything is safe to be wet. There's no water leaking out. It's totally enclosed. So yes. Uh, so when we go in, when I go in and do Coda's bath, I'll set up a tub in that standing section next to the main bathtub and I'll fill that usually about three quarters with water. Um, mm-hmm. And then he's still not at the point where he can sit up by himself and kind of stay stable enough. He can sit up now, but it's like he'll fall over. So I have to keep a hand on him at this point still. Mm -hmm. And what I'll usually do is I'll give him a bath toy. And I have actually two smaller tubs that I use now because one is like this. It's called a a Laco, I think. And uh, it is more of a kind of an inflatable like stability bath you can just set him in here he's not going to move around his head goes back against the bath and kind of stays stable and then i can shower myself while he's just chilling in there so i'll give him a toy and let him do his thing in there and i'll just shower myself first and then sometimes i will then give him a bath while he's in that and sometimes i'll give him a bath and move him over to the bigger bathtub so he can kind of flail around but he's getting a little too big for that. And sometimes he'll kick and like bump his head on the other end. So mm. it's a lot of, I keep him in the smaller one now and just kind of shower him and, and do it that way. When you say the bigger bathtub, you mean the one that you've brought into the shower yeah. zone, right? Like not the yeah. one that's actually the real adult bathtub. No, no, no. He's got two bathtubs. One's a little oh. bigger. One's mm. the, the smaller one that he can sit by himself in. So. Yeah, I did try giving him like a bath with myself in the big Mm -hmm. bathtub a while ago. And it's he's still just not stable enough to to manage that by himself. So it's like I just got to hold him the the entire time. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's quite ready for that. And has it been the way for you the entire time? Like since he was born, you've been basically using some variation of the same method? Basically, yeah. In the past month, though, he's been more stable, so I'm able to, like, leave him and then just kind of not keep one hand on him the entire time, whereas in the in the months previous, I, I'd always have to keep a hand on the back of his head to make sure he wasn't, like, falling into the water or something. So mm-hmm. it's gotten a bit easier. Moe's method, she can't do the bath and hold him. She's got, um, she's had some wrist issues. So instead, she has to do the bath with him on her lap while she's in the shower as well. So it's mm. more it's more cumbersome, I guess, for her to, to do it. So I usually try to take the bath when I can. We have totally revolutionized our bath method. Um, and it all came down to at about three months, Nico was big enough that he couldn't really fit in the sink anymore. He was like, mm. you know, stretching out to about the length of the the small inflatable bathtub that goes in the sink. And he was thrashing around because he was just more active. So mm. at about three months to four months in that window, we started giving him baths in the shower room, like what you're talking about. Uh, so for the first three months of his life, I thought I'd go down the checklist here because this is what we learned from the 
Josanchi-san, which is the uh, midwife who trained mm-hmm. us on some, you know, diaper changing and bath techniques before we ever had the boy. Uh, this is what she told us to do and then what we did in practice and it works out really smoothly, but it's a lot of efforts and a lot of things that you need to to get like all your ducks in a row to give the kid a bath. This is like the sink version. So the first thing you need is some sort of plastic or inflatable tub that can fit in the sink, unless you just want to go hardcore and drop them in the sink itself, which is like when I was a kid, I was just dropped right in the sink and bathed in there. No tub Mm -hmm. at all, but it's really cheap and easy to find like an inflatable tub. They're like 10 bucks or less. So we have an inflatable tub, a bath thermometer, which is helpful. It gives you the, you know, comfortable zone for the baby highlighted Mm -hmm. on the thermometer so you know it's not going to be too hot or cold uh we have a bowl for clean water off to the side you need to have a little rag to wipe his face you need your baby soap and then there's some type of very long rag that's like longer than the baby we would fold that in half and drape it over his body while he was in the bath i don't fully know the purpose of this long like gauzy musliny rag um, yeah. But it stays wet and just covers his body. Maybe it's to like even out the temperature a little bit or something. Yeah, I think it's to keep him warmer. Okay. Like the hot water of the bath is always absorbed into the towel and keeps him a bit yeah, warm. Yeah, we did that originally too. And then like we were constantly like splashing water on it to keep it kind of wet and warm so he wouldn't like get cold and start fussing around. Yeah. And that. Uh, it's good for modesty too. You know, babies are embarrassed about being <laughs> naked. He's a shy up. boy. <laughs> He's a very shy little boy. Uh, so yeah, so we would drape the long rag over him. And then, you know, when we drop him in the bath, that's also part of the deal. Then off to, that's like just for the bath itself, but you've got to prep, you know, when you lift him out of the bath, you've got to have everything ready to go so that he can, mm. you know, get, get dressed really quickly. So then you need to layer on the counter near the sink uh these items first you put down a towel for softness this can be an adult towel that you've like you know folded up into a third Mm -hmm. or something then on top of the towel you put the outer layer of clothes this is especially useful if it's the japanese style of like more robish type clothes that you tie up Mm -hmm. so that you can lay the baby into those eventually then you put the inner layer of clothes and a good tip is like the inner layer and the outer layer of robes, you would put the inner layer sleeve into the outer layer sleeve even, like get them all set up just so the baby can kind of be dropped off in them. Then in those clothes, you lay an open diaper. And then on top of all of this, you lay the actual towel for drying off the baby, usually like a hooded towel. Mm. And then, you know, you'll drop the baby off in that towel, dry him off, then pick him up, remove the towel, and then all of his diaper and clothes and everything are just ready to go. Also, you would need on hand, if you're using diaper powder or any kind of baby powder for any reason, have that there. Lotions, if your kid is like, you know, breaking out or having skin problems. And when he's naked, that's the best time to lather him up with lotion. Mm -hmm. And a hairbrush, if your child has hair, you can comb him down while he's uh, still wet and get his style on. And you've got to get all those items ready every time, not to mention you need to clean off your counter every time. And like we have a dish drying rack, but that was in the way. So you've got to move that to the side. And Mm. it was like a big rearrangement of the kitchen every day. Uh, But eventually you get locked in and it's easy enough. So that went on for probably three months. And then he got a little bit too big for the inflatable bathtub. And we bought a shower chair, which I think is what you're talking about. Um, but ours is like a hard plastic, 
Uh, then mm-hmm. it reclines or you could sit more upright and there's like a little toy in the front of it that the baby disregards, but that the baby <laughs> may someday touch and spin the toy to keep them occupied. And there's a little bit of a, like a, an area that goes over his legs that the toys attached to that you slide his legs into so he can like put his hands on that and be a bit more stable. So we've got the shower chair going all the time and that just sits on the floor of the shower room. Uh, and like you were saying, like I'll usually drop him in that shower chair reclined with a little foamy cushion in it that it came with it. And then I'll shove him into the corner of the shower room and I'll take my <laughs> own shower and he just sits there and occupies himself. And usually mm-hmm. like the noise of the shower kind of, you know, draws his attention. And then I always say like that the kid likes to watch the parent if the parent's doing something like mm-hmm. Nico will watch either of us cook if we just put him in the kitchen in the bouncer he'll just watch you cook because it's like the mommy show or the daddy show you know he's right. watching you walk here and there talk to him and so on so in the shower he'll just unnervingly stare at you while you shower <laughs> and uh, that entertains him so he's not fussy at least you know for your five or ten minutes of shower then I'll sit down on the stool and I'll pick him up into my lap and then I'll do I'll go over all the you know bathing steps Uh, A couple of tips that I've picked up along the way. One is you can do like water, like you've got to, you know, get soap on his face, of course. But then it's like, how do you get that soap off of his face easily? Mm. And what my wife saw on YouTube from a bunch of mothers doing it in their instructional videos, and then she tried it. And then I've been trying it is if you sit the kid up vertically or even a little bit past vertically. So he's leaning face down a little bit. You can spray on the top of his head and just let the water run down his face. And um, it's not going to get in his nose. He's not going to like swallow too much of it anyway. (laughs) Maybe a a little drop (laughs) in his mouth, but it doesn't do anything to him. And you can literally like spray down his face and not worry about it too much. Obviously, you don't want to spray into his face or like up from under his face or anything. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Spray on the top of his head and the soap runs off and that's pretty easy. It freaks him out about halfway, but he, he gets used to it and it's not a big deal. It's uh, it's interesting. I have a similar thing, but I use the uh, washcloth we have. I just get it soaking wet, and I just kind of mm-hmm. lean Coda forward, and then I'll just squeeze the cloth out right over his forehead, basically, mm. and just let it just drip over his whole face. Yeah, and it's amazing. I've been doing this for a little while now, and he just instinctively closes his eyes, closes his mouth, mm-hmm. and then I just once it's all the soap's all gone, I just kind of like wipe all the remaining water and he's just happy and fine. Yeah. You do like a bare hand down his face to get the remaining water off. And then it's like nothing ever happened. Uh, And I was surprised about that because you're always leery of like, you know, water on the face. Is it going to hurt his eyes? Is it going to go down his throat? You know, like have all these worries, but it turns out to not be too big of a deal if done sort of cautiously and very vertically. Yeah. However, I have noticed that Coda these days tries to lick the washcloth as it's going down now. (laughs) (laughs) He's in a real licking phase. (laughs) He's a big licker. His tongue's out more than half the time. (laughs) And it's like he's got a third hand and it's how he's also playing with his toys. (laughs) Basically. Uh, Yeah. Nico is not a big licker, but Coda's all over it. He will be resistant to every type of bacteria and virus. Oh, yeah, he's going to get them all soon. (laughs) Yeah, he's on his way. So then there's the question of uh, drying off. 
because like it's one thing to take your own shower it's another thing to give your baby the bath but then to do them simultaneously sometimes things kind of butt up against each other but what Mm. i do is i lay his towel down outside the shower room door on the bath mat and then Mm. i as soon as the shower's finished i lay him upon the towel and like sort of wrap him up in the towel and I let his squirminess do the work of drying off for me. So mm. I uh, you know, put the hood up like over his forehead and then I dry myself off. And by the time a couple minutes have passed, when I go to pick him up, I mean, in the towel, he's like 90% dry at that point because he's just been squirming around inside his wrapped up towel. Are you not afraid of accidents happening in this period of just bit naked baby in a towel? Uh, Nico has lulled me into a sense of security. And I think (laughs) that at this stage of his life, like he's only going to the bathroom in the diaper. So when he has no diaper, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's this all about? And he doesn't do anything. He doesn't pee or poo outside the confines of a diaper. And it might just have been luck of the draw all these months that Mm. it's never coincided with naked time but he has so far not done anything untoward or rude directly into the towel. So we go at it with confidence now. And we use the um, pants type, which is in America, I think they're called pull-ups, like more underwear type diapers that uh, don't fasten on the sides with tape, but they're like one diapery unit. And the trouble with that is you have to tear off the old one and then he's naked and then you have to slide the new one up, but he's never once done anything naughty. Hmm while he's sitting on the changing table uh, waiting for his new diaper. So I think he's just like a little hesitant to let loose if he's not comfortably in his clothes and dry and like he normally goes. That's my theory anyway. And it could be shattered catastrophically at any moment. (laughs) Nice word. Shattered. Shattered. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But what about Coda? Do you have the, the extreme worry when he's naked in the towel? I mean, it's not so much an extreme worry anymore because he's never done anything. But it's always in the back of my mind like, oh, crap, I've got a naked baby here. Like something could go wrong. Yeah. So I'm usually more actively drying him. And then I don't keep the diaper under the towel anymore. I just put the Mm -hmm. towel down and do that and then quickly grab it out of the we have a little basket that's got a tap the diapers in it. So we'll Mm -hmm. grab one out of there real quick when he's dry and throw it on him. That's good. I should say that I've abandoned all of the layering of the items uh, that I used to do when he took a bath in the yeah. sink when he was younger. Now it's just uh, uh, his towel laid on the bath mat, and then I lay mm. him on that, and it's soft enough. And then there, uh, after he's dry, after I'm dry, I pick him up, and we walk into the next room, which is where the crib is, and put him on the changing mm. table and dress him and comb his hair and do all that there, which is a lot easier. Yeah, I think the layering is more seasonal. Because in summer now, you definitely don't have layers that you're putting on a baby. You're barely putting one layer on them. Yeah. And definitely not rushing to do it after the bath. Yeah. The layering also goes out the window if you get away from the Japanese robe style clothes. Because what they wear mainly these days are like onesies. And there's no way to lay out a onesie. You have to, you know, basically roll it up and pull it over his head and everything. Yeah. So uh, I usually just have that laid off to the side these days. And yeah, there's not much to layer anymore. 
But that's uh, my shower rundown. That's how it all works. It's one of those things that before you have a kid, it's like, what happens in the bath? And there turn out to be a lot of steps, but it's like anything else that once you've had the kid for a week, you've done it so many times and you've, you know, figured out the best ways to set it up that you become a real pro. But just from the outside, it's like unimaginable how you would wrangle a nude baby through a whole bath time experience. Yeah, it, I wouldn't do it for a little while. I think it took me like a good month to be comfortable with it because mm-hmm. my hands are a little big. And then I was trying to like hold this tiny little dude in this bath of water and I just felt like I was choking him. Mm-hmm. So it kind of freaked me out for a little while and I didn't do it till it got more stable. Uh, that's a good thing being the dad, like your um, wife in the hospital will have received so much training in Japan mm-hmm. from the and midwives there and i think uh i believe my wife was bathing the child by like day two or day three or something in the hospital and then got several days of experience before she came out so then when we uh got settled in at the home at the house she trained her parents we were staying with them she trained me and you get you know kind of the expertise passed down that way you know this is an interesting difference i discovered recently when we were i was talking about this with some family who have a little older kid and they were talking about when they came out of the hospital, I guess they're, they're from England and they're, they don't stay there that long. It's like a day maybe in the hospital mm-hmm. and they don't wash the baby. You mm. just basically, you give birth, you rest up, they throw the baby on you and say, all right, good luck. And there's nothing. You get this like dirty baby. They said they took their boy home and he still had like, gloop in his hair and it was still rusty and they said even like you didn't even they didn't they weren't instructed to wash the baby right away but to hold off for a couple days Hmm. which is way different from japan where they're like gotta wash that kid right away and then even like a lot of like the online things you read i've been to like the mayo clinic and stuff and it's like how often do you wash your baby they're like uh two to three times a week and that's like up until the kid's like a year old. But in Japan, it's always like you got to do it daily. You got to get these kids clean. So yeah. it's really, really interesting. I asked that question specifically to the midwife when we were getting our training before the baby was born. I said, mm. um, should we give him a bath every day? And uh, I think I mentioned this once before, but in the back of my mind, you know, I, I thought it was a valid question to ask because it could be for example, that the baby has some natural oils or his skin is becoming acclimated to the outside world or there's some baby chemistry going on and you're not actually supposed to wash him every day or something. I thought that yeah. might be the case. And she was like, no, you disgusting idiot. Wash him every day. <laughs> like, why are you neglecting your child before he's born? It's ridiculous. So uh, I learned my lesson that uh, you wash the baby daily. And we've done that yeah. with the exception of maybe like two days, you know, We'll have to skip a day for whatever reason. But yeah, it's a daily affair around our place. Yeah, ours too. I'm always more keen to skip a day, especially mm-hmm. if we're not doing anything. I mean, in summer now, everybody's sweating. So you're at least washing at least once a day. Yeah. But, you know, like spring and fall and stuff, you're not doing anything. I'm like, well, I, he doesn't need a bath. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. This lends credence to my theory that people overbathe. In this modern era, I think I so. Might, yeah, I might be going out on a limb and 
revealing myself as a, a disgusting jerk, but I think like, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm working and if it's summer, obviously you're going to take a shower every day, especially cause I'm like a, you know, shirt and tie type person. So I'm always right. hot and sweaty and disgusting, but if I'm off on the weekend and I haven't done anything like extremely outdoorsy or energetic or whatever, it's like, why take the shower every day? Come on. It's ridiculous. Dude, I totally agree with you. My wife is going to hear this and think I'm gross, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have a system in the house of accusing each other of not bathing. And it's, uh, if it's, <laughs> if you haven't bathed that day, it's called day one. And then if you let another day go by, then it's day two, day three or whatever. And I will occasionally on a break, I'll get up to a day three. I'll take a wow. couple of days, no shower. If nothing nice. horrible's happened. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then my wife will be like, day three, really? And give me a, a good <laughs> scolding. But I'm comfortable to day three. I mean, I'm disgusting, but I'll uh, deal with it. And um, I'm happy to live my life that way. I'm not afraid to say it. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, when you go camping and stuff and you're out there for a couple of days, you don't bathe for, you know, four or five days sometimes if you're out. Yeah. And for like most of human history, like who was bathing every day other than the queen of England in milk with rose petals. You know, it's like a very high society thing to have bathed every day. Other than that, I feel like the cowboys were bathing like once a month and you know, they lived to the age of 27, but other than that, I think they were fine. Well, uh, I think that does it for bath time and we can move on to what's the next one. I can never remember what happens. after Japanese of the day. Japanese of the day. Let's go. Japanese of the day today is a quadruple punch of Japanese. I love katakana words because they're You're the only easy. one. <laughs> well, they're like easier to remember, obviously, than full on Japanese words. And uh, it's like a built in mnemonic device. But mm. I like when katakana words are just slightly off because then they're funny or cute in some way. And a lot of uh, childcare words are katakana and they're uh, not exactly what you would imagine them to be. Right. So, uh, for example, we say stroller mm. or pram or what, what have you. Uh, you probably know a lot of these. So let's make this a quiz. What is stroller in Japanese? Baby car. Yes, baby car. And the car, of course, means car. It's a baby oh, car. Of course it of is. Course. Put your baby in a baby car and push him around. So stroller yeah. is baby car. Baby car. The next one. This is, it's not in our lives yet, I don't think, but the high chair. Do you know the Japanese katakana e word for a high chair? No, I don't. This one is baby chair. Of course it is. It's the baby chair. That's where babies go in the baby chair. Uh, my wife said she might have heard high chair as well, but I looked it up online and like did Google image searching with the Japanese and stuff, and I found high chairs called baby chair. Hmm. Next, what is a baby's crib in Japanese? What is a baby's crib in Japanese? I don't know. You could probably figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I just assume kurib. Ah, uh, yeah. This, it's a little bit off of center, though. It's baby bedo. Ah, uh, right. So 
baby bed. That's the I baby's see, crib. I see the pattern here. Yeah. And now I'm going to throw you for a loop on the last yeah. one, though. Uh, <laughs> you should know this one. Uh, what is a car seat commonly called in Japanese? What is a car seat? Well, this is when they vary from the baby pattern and they yeah. go into child, which in katakana is childo, childo shito, child right. seat. Child the seat. car seat is the childo shito. Uh, sorry, not shito, but shito. Shito. So we've got baby car, baby chair, baby bed, childo shito. Mm. And those are Excellent. some useful words. It's weird because katakana, obviously, it's for like imported words. Yeah. And I'm not a scholar of like Japanese history for all these individual items, you know, but mm. it seems like. I don't know. I guess a crib, you know, in the old days, it was probably just a futon on the floor. So crib might have been imported. Um, mm. a car seats, I guess, vehicles were created in the West and then imported. So maybe child yeah. seats were as well. The high chair, maybe they were, again, sitting on the floor around like, a, you know, a low table. Yeah. So the high chair is a Western thing, too. And then the stroller might have been a fully Western thing. I don't know. But yeah, I think uh, so. It sometimes blows me away when a, a Western word comes over for something. And it's like, you didn't have that already? Like, what do you mean? How does that work? Right. Uh, like, uh, tobacco is tobacco. And maybe they just didn't grow tobacco here before. I don't know. But sometimes hmm. they throw me for a loop. They always throw me for a loop. And I, I always tend to hate them. Because I, <laughs> I look at whatever the thing is and I'm like, oh, this must be this. But then... It could just be a different language altogether, like and not English. Yeah. And then I'm really like thrown off. But I got to say, I do enjoy one katakana word. And it's always grouped with something else. Mm -hmm. And it's always city. Yeah. Because <laughs> whatever it is, it's just great the way it's pronounced. Yeah, it turns into a lovely adjective. Uh, the one that <laughs> leaps to my mind is the Kanazawa Shitty Hotel. <laughs> Ooh, one-star Yelp review. That's oh, so great. Uh, yeah, cities, that's a dangerous one. Um, I think, like, oh, a few of those that you're talking about, the non-English ones, these mm. are what the French call a faux ami which is a false friend or it's like some a word in French that you think should be the English word, but is actually not. And there are a lot of faux ami in uh, Katakana, like um, yeah. all of the Japanese kids who are studying English, they feel like they can fall back on Katakana because like 98% of the time it is an English word and they can right. sort of uh, fudge their way through it. But a couple of them like clown in Japanese oh. is uh, yeah, Piero which comes from the French word for clown and famously yeah. part-time job is katakana. Arbeito. Arbeito, which is German somehow. So I don't know the original German exactly, but yeah. So when you're trying to have a conversation in English, a lot of times with a Japanese student, they'll mm. just throw out Arbeito meaning part-time job or Piero meaning clown. If you're talking about clowns, rarely comes up that one. Uh, but there are a few like that. So you got to mm. be on your toes. If you're a part-time clown worker, it comes up all the time. Oh, man. <laughs> it's a minefield. <laughs> and I should say, for some reason, I mentioned um, tobacco. And for some reason, tobacco is always written in hiragana. 
So sometimes, oh, yeah, it is. Like, yeah, shop will advertise. Yeah, we've got tobacco and it's hiragana. And I don't know why, like, just the odd word will break the mold like that. I feel like Japanese as a mixture of three, let's call them alphabets, sometimes mm. it's like still the Wild West because it's like if you write it in one alphabet, it seems a little bit cuter or with more emphasis than you write if you write it in another alphabet. So it's like correct in one alphabet, but then it's still done in the other and then you don't know which way to do it when you're writing it yourself. So mm. there's just like, it's kind of like in English, you might see like, it's the equivalent of somebody writing in all caps and that carries its own emphasis. Or right. if somebody uses LOL, you could write that online a million times, but you can't put it in your essay. And then people are like, well, it's English, right? Like, why is it wrong in one case and right in the other? And it's hard to wrap your mind around all of those like mm. subtle differences in usage. So the uh, Japan, I think, is rife with that sort of thing with the three out, like three, in some cases, competing ways to write things. So Japanese of the day. That's done. Yes. Nails in the coffin. Let's go Good on to McQuiffwee. Um, McQuiffwee. <laughs> so stupid. Good old McQuiffwee. My question for you is... McQuiffwee is the um, abbreviation that's taking the internet by storm. For my question for you is, um, today's McQuiffwee is, this is a deep one, has Mm. having your child changed you in any fundamental way? And by that, I don't mean like the ethereal sort of stuff, like I feel so much love now, you know, like that sort of traditional parent stuff. But I mean more like, there's some principle or something that you used to live by that is now gone or you've introduced a new principle or there's some personality trait in yourself that came out or disappeared or something like a real identifiable kind of thing in yourself that having your child has changed. Do you have any of those off the top of your head? What do you say? I think so. I think, I think I'm nicer. Oh yeah. And my wife might disagree with this, but, (laughs) uh, I always tended to be more negative about things initially or like go into things with kind of negative thinking about it first, always like kind of skeptical, but now Mm -hmm. I I tend to think about things more optimistically. And so I think just having him has made me view the way that I see the world around me in a better light because I want to see it through his eyes and kind of make things better for him. So I don't want to be a skeptical asshole (laughs) <laughs> just and him to see that i want to be like oh okay that's not something that like flicked on in you like a light switch or something that's something that you're sort of actively trying to change about yourself to make it better for your kid you know so you're you feel like more of a positive yeah influence life. yeah definitely if you if you mean more like a, a switch then no i don't think i had any of those yet maybe yeah I'm the same way I've tried to like correct myself or, you know, change my course a bit. And I agree with you on that one in my own case, a hundred percent. Like you don't want to be in a bad mood all day because Mm. then you've got the hours of the day you're dealing with your kid in a bad mood and you don't want to have that like layered over that time. So you sort of uh, force yourself into more optimism or at least outwardly expressing more positivity Mm. for the sake of the kid. And yeah. um, that's a, a pretty big fundamental shift. 
the one that uh, I noticed in myself, and this is a little bit, it's like less personal or less emotional, I guess, but it's that um, for my entire life, I always viewed things as really, really permanent. Like if I'm buying, uh, you know, some clothes or a piece of furniture or whatever. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'll think like, well, I've got sandals covered for the rest of my life because I just bought sandals, you know, and I'll, I'll use something until the bitter end and Mm. until it's well past its usefulness. And I had this like sort of sense of permanence about everything, especially with possessions. But with the kid, just within the first five months, so many things have to come and go in the kid's life because he's like growing out of them or they've become like not useful to him anymore or something. And it's really overhauled the amount of things coming and going out of my life. Whereas before I could go, I mean, years without buying clothes or something. And now it's like we need this steady stream of clothes in the house. And that's really um, opened me up to just sort of almost like wheeling and dealing a little bit like, oh, yeah, we should get that one now. And we could probably sell the other one. We could probably get that much money out of that thing. And I never used to think about that before. But now I need to like be more buying and selling and changing things over in the house. And it doesn't Mm. bother me. Whereas before, it really would have bothered me thinking that I'm letting something go without having used it to uselessness, you know, without right. having like fully destroyed <laughs> the thing and sucked every ounce of value out of it that I could. That's how I was. There's an interesting uh, kind of like one of those dichotomy things, like where there's two kinds of people that I always thought was interesting. And it was like on a game show, imagine you have the choice of your prize and it's between like a bedroom suit, like, um, you know, Chester drawers, a bed and whatever. Or you could get the vacation and they're both valued at say like four or $5,000 or whatever. There's one type of person who would always go for the experience. Mm. Another type of person who would always go for the more concrete item thinking that'll last me for life and I'll have it forever. The experience is fleeting, but other people would be like bedroom furniture doesn't matter. Let's go to Paris. You know, that'll be like memorable forever. And that's a real dividing line in people. And I think I was always the more concrete person but then having the kid has moved me closer into the experience category or at mm. least not as concrete as I once was. Interesting. Yeah, I'm more of a consumer in mind, so I definitely haven't changed that part of me at all. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh, we need new clothes? All right, let's go buy new clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's been huge just mentally for me and like behavior-wise, yes. it's been a big change. Well, that's good that you've done that then because... Kids grow out of shit fast. Yeah. And it's almost, I mean, it's just necessity because you don't want to hold on to a bunch of useless stuff. And then the stuff Mm -hmm. becomes useless because the kid just can't use it anymore. So it's like, looks brand new or you only used it twice or whatever. Yeah. But it has become useless in through a series of events that's not normally been the case, you know, like Mm -hmm. If I buy something, normally I would use it thousands of times, but now you could just use something a couple of times and then it has to go. So it kind of fits the mold still in a way, but it's just gotten me more used to getting rid of stuff, I suppose, and like getting through stuff. Well, all that's left now is them old dad jokes. Sounds good. How many do you have? I've got three dad jokes today. Oh, okay. I really want to end dad joke. I have two and I really want to tell the last dad joke today. Okay. Cause I think it's well, a good one to end on. All right. So I'll, I'll do two right out of okay. the gate. Okay. Um, 
So the first one, what kind of magic do cows believe in? Moodoo! <laughs> <laughs> I feel that cow jokes should generally be told with the punchline instantly following the setup. <laughs> Something about cow jokes. And it goes back to the knock-knock right. joke. Yeah, interrupting cow. Yeah, the interrupting cow. The interrupting cow. Moo! And you just have to shout a moo in there. And somehow in my brain, that set up cow jokes means you have to interrupt the other person. <laughs> Literally uh, the slowest animal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're just jerks. They're just always interrupting. So that's all that goes. All right. A more toned down traditional dad joke. What do you call a group of killer whales playing musical instruments? Mm, something pod. I don't know. It's an orchestra. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cute one. Uh, really, uh, it's nice. Really a light touch. I liked it. All right. What about your first dad joke? Uh, why did the burglar steal a bath? Um, hmm. Faucet running water. <laughs> bubbles i'm just trying to link it up i have no idea why uh he wanted to make a clean getaway hey okay that's good um how much do used batteries cost i don't free well they're free of charge <laughs> just close didn't have the follow-through right there uh, all right, last one. What's an emo's favorite type of bath bomb? <laughs> an emo's, not an emu, no, not emo Phillips, but an emo's favorite type of bath bomb. I don't know. A toaster. <laughs> Holy God! <laughs> Dark dad jokes. <laughs> I warned you that one was dark. <laughs> it just drops it right in. That's what he likes. That's what he likes. Who are we to stand in his way? Uh, it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> Good stuff. Thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at JPops Podcast or by email at info at the Talk to you next time. Toaster time. <laughs> <laughs>